It's time again to share some interesting viewers' comments and questions next on Polygamy. What love is this? From time to time, we like to take the time to share the questions and the comments from our viewers who watch our programs. And, um, and we like to do it publicly because we would like other viewers to hear the question and the answers. Yeah, many of them may have the same question. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so we, the next two programs, we are going to discuss the latest questions and comments made by our viewers. And of course, Earl Erskine, our, our co-host, who was a former Mormon, Mormon bishop, yes. uh, will add his perspective from the LDS church experiences because a lot of our viewers do come from an LDS background. We sure hope so. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they listen and pay attention. And then, of course, we hold everything up to the uh, biblical authority because sure. it has the final say on everything. So let's dive into the first one. Hmm. After watching some of the shows that include some of your guests who help people escape polygamy, I stumbled on your show. I'm a Christian who was raised in Mesa, Arizona, which is heavily LDS populated area, especially in the 1970s and 80s when I was in school. My eldest aunt was Mormon, and I even had studied with the missionaries after my boyfriend's mother tried to convert me. He was a Jack Mormon. <laughs> it was at that time, even though I was raised in a Christian home, I was searching. My prayers were answered. God sent a gal to me who invited me to a Friday night college devotional. I did truly become a Christian after that. I had seen the contradictions between the Book of Mormon, Doctrine and Covenants, Pearl of Great Price, and the Bible. As life progressed, I am now in my mid-50s, and during COVID, I had not been to church since early 2020. But finding your show, it has talked to my heart and reignited my convictions about Jesus Christ and the truth. I watch an episode almost every day. That's kind of neat, huh? Thank you for your work you do. Thanks for the work you do in res rescuing people from these polygamous cults and in preaching the gospel and good news. Ellen from North Carolina. So we get them from all over the country. And of course, it's encouraging sure it is. to get responses yeah. like this, how, yeah. how different kinds of people were helping in different areas of the country and <laughs> yeah. different backgrounds. And and uh, she specifically mentioned the contradictions from the, you know, the four standard works, as it were. And there really are a lot of yeah. contradictions. Oh. And so my question, first question would be to you. When you were a member of the LDS Church, did you see any contradictions or even maybe something that might have given you a slight check within your mind or something. Or did you never notice anything out of place? You would think so, wouldn't <laughs> you? Knowing what I know now, I just can't believe that I didn't catch anything. In fact, at some point a few years ago, well, maybe 20 years ago now, but my son uh, had married a... Uh, uh, had married a young lady, and her mother had some anti-Mormon material, and she knew I was Mormon and thought I would be interested in it. Well, he brought it home, and I'm confessing to her now, I guess, <laughs> I didn't even look at it. I wouldn't dare look at it, yeah. or it didn't, even, it didn't even interest me enough to look at it. Mm -hmm. And I did a lot of reading. I was always in a book, an uh -huh. LDS book, of either by Monson or a guy named Thomas Ferguson or... Crowther, or, I mean, I read all of them, yeah. and no, I really didn't. I don't know what I would have done if someone had thrown something specific at me, but well, I just, just we wasn't. know that that 
the Bible tells us that at just the right time, Christ died for us. And at just the right time, he brings us to him too. So 20 years ago, it probably wouldn't have worked yeah, you know, on where didn't. you were at at that time. And the sa- I think the same with me. I probably just, wouldn't have if I'd heard the truth yeah. any time before. But you would think that there would be things I would put on a shelf, like they, yeah. they always talk what, about. Yeah. And I just didn't have that shelf. I, hmm. you, you weren't given <laughs> a, a shelf, old happy, <laughs> Mor- happy Mormon guy and just as naive and, and just a good, un- uninformed as possible. Strange. Um, and there are, of course, we don't, we can't see the contradictions when we're, when we're, when we have been brainwashed, we don't know we're brainwashed until after we get out and look back. Mm-hmm. And and we don't have time, of course, to um, present all the contradictions of these books, but we're going to talk about a, a few of them. And we've done shows on the contradictions in the past, and we can do more in the future because there's enough to do more without, uh, without doubling back on what we've already done. But... We just want to say it's your eternity, so it would be a good idea if you are LDS or in Mormon fundamentalist, check it out for yourself. Now's the time, you know. The Bible says today is the day for salvation. Right. Um, now, there's those who claim that the Book of Mormon and the Bible are compatible, that they agree with each other. The Book of Mormon just is another testament to to the Bible, but that can't be true because that claim by itself contradicts God's prohibition that no one has the right to add to or take from what he has written. Now, they say, well, more was added to the Bible after he commanded the people not to, but God has the right to add to his own word. We don't have that right. And it, it is his testimony, after all. We don't have the right either to change it. But let's look at some contradictions. The Pearl of Great Price, section 2, is where we find Joseph Smith's story. There are many problems harmonizing his claims with his other writings and, of course, with the Bible. Section 2 is not the only place where a description of his first vision is recorded. In fact, there are at least nine different versions of his vision, and each one has different information. No, I've heard people counter, well, there's four Gospels, and they each have different information. Uh, And and that's true, but his vision stories aren't even in the same league (laughs) as the Gospels, and the Gospels don't contradict each other. They add information, but there's no contradictions. And they were written by different people. Right. <laughs> oh, hey, that's a good point. Joseph, Joseph Smith wrote all this himself. Yeah, he's responsible for at least four yes. specifically, but there are exactly. nine different versions. Mm-hmm. That, you know. And is the first version isn't even the one that's the official version either. No. So we, we want to quote a couple of things from a very excellent article I have in PDF format. Uh, it's by Jack Williams, and we'll send the copy of this to anyone who wants to email me and ask for it. Just email doris at childrenrefuge.org. And it's entitled, Some Contradictions of Mormonism. Uh, But some questions do arise from Smith's various vision stories. And the differences include such things as his age at the time of his first vision, variously given as from 14 to 16 years old. Who appeared to him at the time? Was it Christ alone, Christ and the Father, angels alone? There's even one version that way. Mm -hmm. His reason for being in the woods requiring of God to know which sect was right, or I might add, to be confirmed that his sins were forgiven him. That was the other reason that he went was, Mm -hmm. or at least in one of his versions, it was not to find out what church was true, it's just to have his sins forgiven. Mm -hmm. Because he knew through a study of the scripture that all sects were wrong, or to inquire if there was really a God. 
Okay. Now, this is just a few of the questions. Yeah, just a few. And this article is really very good. It brings up some of these points. Yeah. Uh, but in the Pearl of Grey Prize, section 2, <clears throat> verse 11, Joseph Smith said that he read James 1.5 to ask for wisdom. But the Bible had already given the answer to Smith's alleged questions. Wisdom comes by applying knowledge, putting what you know to proper use. That's wisdom. Why didn't Joseph Smith learn what the Bible said about his questions? Because their answers are there yeah. about all those questions. Uh, we have two of many scriptures that Joseph Smith could have obeyed, and he would have gotten his answers without his sacred growth stories. So 2 Timothy 2.15, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. In Acts 17.11, they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. So all Joseph Smith had to do was study the Bible to get his answers. Just search the scriptures and there they mean the, the, the Bible. The Bible, exactly. They did, when the Acts was written, the Book of Mormon didn't exist. That's right. But, but instead of searching the scriptures, Joseph Smith went off on his own tangents and conjured up all kinds of unbiblical ideas and doctrines and behaviors that could not possibly have mm -hmm. come from God. And why? After Joseph Smith had made such a ruckus about the various religions being wrong and that God supposedly told him they were all corrupt and told him not to join any of them, what did he do? He ignored the alleged revelation, and in 1828, he joined the Methodist Church. <laughs> and this, after he had supposedly seen God face to face, prohibit him to do so. How can that be? Yeah. Another question is if the Book of Mormon contains the fullness of the gospel, why did he need to produce the Pearl of Great Price and the Doctrine and Covenants with doctrines that don't agree with the Book of Mormon? <laughs> Either the Book of Mormon is the fullness or it isn't. Yeah. Another contradiction is a priesthood. And there's so much we can say about that. We don't have time. We'll present one point. The Bible warns that only Aaron, who was a descendant of Levi, and Aaron's sons and their descendants, only they could be priests. But once again, Joseph Smith went against God's command and had the Book of Mormon say that Jacob and Joseph would be consecrated as priests. We quote. Yeah, from 2 Nephi 5.26, And it came to pass that I, Nephi, did consecrate Jacob and Joseph, that they should be priests and teachers over the land of my people. Now, Jacob and Joseph, um, in the Bible... <clears throat> they they were not sons of Levi. No, Jacob weren't. was Levi's father. Yeah. And Joseph was Levi's brother. Okay. Uh, now, whether or not the Jacob and the Joseph in Nephi uh, are have the the DNA of the Levites, we don't know that because there is no history to connect true history with the Book of Mormon. Yeah. Actually, Lehi was, I think, from the tribe of Manasseh. Okay, so that so would go back Jake, to Joseph, right, not, not Levi. Not to, to Levi, right. 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 Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. And besides that, the priesthood didn't even exist <laughs> um, for, until 450 years after Joseph and Ephraim and, and the, the, the whole story of the, the Israelites in Egypt. So the, the, priest, the priesthood didn't even exist until yeah. so many years later. They said it was, they say the priesthood was, existed long before it ever did. And in the book of Numbers, chapter 16, we find a story of Korah 
who was not a Levite, so he was not eligible for any priesthood activities. He stirred up a bunch of people to confront Moses because they wanted to have the priesthood too. And in verse 32, God was very upset with him. He didn't repent. He didn't back off. So he opened up the earth and it swallowed up all of those rebels who tried to usurp the Levitical, ironical priesthood. And Mormonism wow. is not afraid to do what Korah did. <laughs> now, later on in Israel's history, we read about Jeroboam, who was an unfaithful leader, and God passed judgment on him. And one of his crimes was exactly what Mormonism does. We mm. quote. First Kings 12.31, He made shrines on the high places and made priests from every class of people who were not of the sons of Levi. There you go. Isn't that what they do? That's right. That's they exactly do. what Mormonism does. And there's many other scriptures, by the way, that shows how wrong it is to make priests from somebody who God has not um, considered them only the uh, sons of Aaron. Now, we're grateful that this viewer uh, who, who has written to us did study out these things, and she discovered the answers for herself and shared her thoughts with us. And uh, someone recently remarked about the time I was going through this to put these things together. They remarked that the Doctrine and Covenants in reality is just a compilation of statements made by Joseph Smith to control the people. People control. Well, they, they were stated to be revelations, but... But it was to control people, wasn't it? Uh, yes, in many ways. You'll sure. do this, and yeah. you'll do that, yeah. and you'll and God has forgiven you, and if you obey this, and you got to do that, and you got to do the that. The same you kind know? of the Lord said, mm -hmm. you know, thus saith the Lord kind right. of thing. But it was his letters, for sure, yeah. or his comments. Okay. The next letter that we received... <laughs> Doris and Earl, you have a better grasp on the truth of Mormonism than the majority of Mormons have. Many of them fight what you say because they're so brainwashed and have not studied what Mormon, Mormonism is really about. I appreciate all that you are doing to bring the truth to light. And we thank you for, for that comment. And, and again, Earl, I want to ask you, how much truth do you know about Mormonism now compared to how much you knew when you were a Mormon? <laughs> it's just, it's just volumes. I mean, it's it's just so crazy. Even the, uh, the fact that the, I mean, there's just so many things. The Book of Mormon, when you talk about it being the fullness, it doesn't even have Mormonism in it. Right. There's so many. We've talked about this before. So many of the doctrines that aren't there. This whole thing with Aaron and the and the, the Aaronic priesthood, the different versions of the first vision. I didn't know any of that stuff. I didn't know the polygamy was. Uh, with that section 101 that was in the Doctrine mm -hmm. and Covenants that, that spoke against yeah. polygamy, and then it was it was in the Doctrine and Covenants until 1876 or something, something. Like mm -hmm. and then it was finally taken out where one you know talked about against polygamy. Anyways, just volumes. I just and what shocked me um, after I started doing my own studies was that the Book of Mormon condemned polygamy. Yes. I called up one of my sisters and I said, did you know the Book of Mormon condemns polygamy? Oh, it does not. Uh, yes, it does. Where? You show me where. And so I sent her the places where. You know, it's interesting. I knew that. Did you? Yeah, I knew that it condemned polygamy, but I guess my mentality was is that God can reveal to his prophet the new, mm -hmm. the new program, you know, and that's... Uh, even though it's a, even though it's a, a, a condemnation, oh, an abomination to him, he can yeah. make it okay. Yeah. <laughs> and again, that's not thinking. That's very clear either. 
Okay, the next uh, letter. <laughs> oh, it, 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 getting back to that though, it's just <laughs> the the saddest part is I didn't know all the bad news. I didn't know all the contradictions and all the problems right. and all that. But I didn't know the Bible. I didn't know Jesus really. I mean, he was uh, he was at the end of all my prayers, mm -hmm. and I I partook of the sacrament every week, but I didn't know him. Right. I didn't consider him a friend in in the sense yeah, of a relationship either. with him. Yeah. He was my older brother. He just kind of came along first. Yeah. You know, I actually had somebody interview, when I interviewed somebody, they actually were a little mad at him because <laughs> he mm -hmm. did come along first. They wanted to be the first. They wanted to be to first. Be. Oh, my. <laughs> well, it, it just, it's just it's silly. But, um, you know, Jesus was not all that big of a deal. He wasn't that big of a deal in the temple. And we don't study him that much. Right. Yeah, right. I mean, we, we know of him historically, but anyway, Jesus has been the, the, the good news. That's he been, is the that's good news. He is. The thing I the know more news. now than I ever did as a Mormon. Right. And knowing so, the Bible yeah. will keep you from error. Yeah. And they, they, don't, uh, yeah. they don't want that. So the next uh, letter. I love your show and have been watching it on YouTube the last few months during the pandemic. Well, that's been good, the pandemic, I guess. <laughs> one, of, one of the key temple ceremonies is baptism for the dead. The early church was admonished for this practice, which is mentioned in the New Testament. Question. If the LDS church does not believe in the Bible, since it has translation issues, how do they justify taking this one scripture and creating an entire practice and doctrine around it? It seems so contradictory. What is the historical progression of this practice, and does it tie in with polygamy? I'd love to see the answer on one of your shows. So here we go. Okay, so now in the Kingston group, we didn't baptize for the dead. So that wasn't part. We did know about it. but Do we some? Do some? Uh, the AUB does. Do yes, they? the AUB does. I'm not sure about the FLDS. There's some groups who do, yes. Some oh. little, little pockets of, of polygamy groups do do that. But this is a great question. It is. And um, we just, you know, we're, we're going to talk about that one little tiny verse where baptism for the dead is mentioned in the Bible. Um, Mormonism embraces several ideas that involves ministry to or for the dead, despite the fact that God has prohibited yeah. such work. And now that's creepy to me. But uh, yeah, <laughs> it wasn't really. then. Uh, it wasn't then. Uh, now, and our viewer is correct asking why, when they don't believe the Bible and they don't believe it can be trusted, how can they in good conscience develop a doctrine from a very obscure Bible passage? Uh, they frequently interpret them, of course, to apply to their own pri private and unique ideas and then develop their own dogma from that idea. Yeah. So baptism for the dead is a good example. But here's the lone passage in all the Bible. In all of the Bible. First Corinthians fifteen twenty nine. Otherwise, what will they do who are baptized for the dead if the dead do not rise at all? Why then are they baptized for the dead? Now, this is Paul the Apostle writing to 1 Corinthians. This is chapter 15, and the whole context is resurrection, resurrection. not baptism, and not baptism for the dead. Okay? So notice his use of pronouns. Uh, the, 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 the letter to the Corinthians is written specifically to the Christians of the city of Corinth. 
Okay. Yeah. In, in fact, most of the New Testament is written to believers, not to unbelievers. Now, the context of this chapter is resurrection, and he's writing about people who doubt that there is a resurrection, even though Jesus Christ has risen from the grave. And he points out that even some people who are not even of the Christian faith believe in a resurrection. He asks, why do they baptize for the dead if they don't believe in the resurrection? That's an important pronoun distinction. <laughs> it, very much so, because he says, what will they do? Yeah. And why are they baptized for the dead? He doesn't say we or us or ourselves. Right. So he's talking about others, people other than those believing Christians at Corinth. Yeah. And, and this is a question, by the way. It's not a commandment. It isn't a procedure that he's teaching them they need to start doing at all. And, and, and there's no command anywhere in the Bible to do anything like that. In fact, there's our commands against doing rituals for the dead. Uh, they also seal people, living people to dead people, and, and, and working for the dead is rebellion against God and so on. But Mormonism itself claims that God doesn't change and neither do his decrees. And so they turn around and do make all those changes for him, right? Here's a great verse to back up what we're saying. Ecclesiastes 9, 5, and 6. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. For they have no further reward, and even the memory of them is forgotten. Their love, their hate, and their jealousy have long since vanished. Never again will they have a part in anything that happens under the sun. Now, under the sun is referring to those who live sure. on planet Earth. On, on the Earth. Right. So they don't have anything to do with anything here at all. It's, uh, uh, and, and it's useless to do anything here for those who have already died, because they have no part in it. Their memory is going to be forgotten. There's no further reward for them, only judgment. Only ju That's what it says. Hebrews 9.27 is another verse that backs that up. Yes, it is appointed once for man to die, then the judgment. Not spirit prison. Yeah. Not hang out somewhere until somebody baptizes for them. It's they die, then the judgment, and that's it. That's the end. And that is the, something that is establishes the fact that doing anything for dead people is useless, okay? Uh, it's too late to accept the gospel because they're going directly to judgment. And by then, by then it's too late. The passage where Jesus speaks to those who have died uh, that Mormonism calls spirit prism is a wrong application and bad interpretation uh, that, that they use to support a chicken chance after death. And that's in uh, something that Peter writes about. Anyway, we're going to put a link on the screen, mrm.org, baptism-dead, which is a very great place to go to get detailed <laughs> explanation of the error in baptism for the dead. And we want to expose a contradiction uh, where we quote from the Book of Mormon uh, that contradicts uh, section 124 of the Doctrine and Covenants, where it says baptism for the dead um, is supposed to be done, but the Book of Mormon tells us there's no chance after death. And if I had to say that there was something on a shelf, this may have been the only one I had. Really? For now is the time for men to prepare to meet God. That's, yeah, that was okay. A, yeah, Alma thirty four thirty two. For behold, this life is the time for men to prepare to meet God. Yea, behold, the day of this life is the day for men to perform their labors. And now, as I said unto you before, as ye have had so many witnesses, therefore I beseech of you that you do not procrastinate 
the day of your repentance until the end. For that same spirit which doth possess your bodies at the time that you go out of this life, that same spirit will have power to possess your body in that eternal world. For behold, if you have procrastinated the day of your repentance even until death, behold, ye have become subjected to the spirit of the devil, and he doth seal you his. Therefore the Spirit of the Lord hath withdrawn from you, and hath no place in you, and the devil hath all power over you. And this is the final state of the wicked. Ooh. Contradiction. Yeah. And it's blatant. It really is. Yeah. And to answer her question, whether this has anything to do with the doctrine of polygamy, I don't know that there's any connection. I haven't found one. Uh, the only relation that, that, that I know about is that they claim the Mormon temple, which is where they do baptism for the dead, is supposed to be fashioned after the Old Testament temple, but that's absolutely not true. Only priests could work inside the Old Testament temple. There were never marriages conducted inside the temple. Women couldn't go in there. They could only go in the women's court. And there were certainly no baptisms done in the Old Testament temple and certainly not any baptisms for the dead. And there was only one authorized temple uh, (laughs) that God said that it was the only place that he would ever put his name Okay, the next letter. Well, the only thing on that, the only thing I can think of as well is that if you have, uh, in a polygamy setting, you'd need to be moving. Now is the time to get this stuff done, to get married to many wives and all that, because you can't do it after you're dead. You know, if if they, in a polygamous setting, wouldn't they, do they use that scripture that way and say, now not is the time? That I've, not that I've heard. Now, now who knows? They might have done it in where uh, I haven't heard that they've done now it. Now is the time could. to practice polygamy because if you wait. But they believe that you'll be sealed to somebody true. after that's if true. you're not worthy here. Or so. work it out in the millennium. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> so the next letter. I am a 67-year-old woman who's been totally inactive in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints since 2014. My beloved husband of over 40 years and one of our children continue to be dedicated Latter-day Saints. Alas, I was not interested in your website at first because I always had accepted the LDS teaching that they have nothing to do with polygamy. But something moved me to start listening to your program and I can now see that there is a strong and definite link between mainline Mormonism and fundamentalist Mormonism. Thank you so much for how you have exposed this important information. I hope to be able to help expose the falseness of Mormonism to my loved ones who are still devoted to it. Sincerely yours, E.M. And again, that's an encouraging letter. We want to thank all who do write these encouraging letters to us because... Even though we focus our marriage, our messages primarily to the Mormon polygamists, many from the LDS religion are drawn into discovering historical truth about Joseph Smith and biblical uh, reliability. Now, there's not only a link between mainline Mormonism and Mormon polygamy. There's a great, huge, unbreakable chain yeah. of theological and doctrinal alleged revelation, prophetic sermons, and threats of an angry Mormon god of hell and damnation for those who reject polygamy and all this makes up the foundation of today's LDS church and they deny it. The Mormon fundamentalists are only living the way Joseph Smith commanded they live and the way he himself lived. Now there's another movement going on um, that 
in a different corner of Mormonism that is refusing to believe Joseph Smith practiced polygamy, that Brigham Young, they're making him the scapegoat, and that Brigham Young made Joseph Smith the scapegoat, which is kind of off from what the RLDS was teaching, but and we're going to probably deal with that in a future show. But history can be withheld and information tweaked. Uh, people can believe what they want, and there are many wolves in sheep's clothing wandering around to devour uh, the people. Now, we found an article on the Mormon Curtain webpage, the link's on the screen, and the, the, it's entitled, The LDS Do Believe in Polygamy, and it was posted in August of 2006. The writer of the article is refuting the LDS position that they no longer believe in polygamy. We want to quote what he says about the doctrine that he was taught when he was part of the LDS church. You worship a God that has multiple wives. You believe that your God is the son of yet another polygamous God and his father and his father. Your scriptures say that polygamy is okay, not old-timey scriptures, the scriptures you take to church every week. You believe, if you're a worthy male, that you will have multiple wives in the afterlife. You believe, if you're a female, that you will be one of many priestesses to your king, maybe your husband, maybe not, in the afterlife. You believe Warren Jeffs is a dirtbag scumbag, but he has only done what Joseph Smith, Brigham Young, Parley Pratt, and other church leaders did. The polygamy proclamation only applies to life right now on earth. It is not called a sin for a reason because you don't think it is a sin, only wrong because it is against the law of the land. And last, your leaders practice temple polygamy. Russell M. Nelson was sealed to another wife half his age. So... Yeah, the link all true. to Mormon polygamy and the LDS Church is there. It is. Um, the the LDS history to today's Mormon fundamentalists is strong. It stretches clear up to the millennium, at which time the LDS was supposed to start living polygamy again. Now we're out of time. Uh, in fact, we've I think we've gone over time a little bit, but we're going to finish wow. with more letters uh, and questions in our uh, more viewer comments uh, next time. So good. we got some interesting ones there, too. So thanks. <laughs> you know, in John chapter 5, verse 43, Jesus said, I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. The Jesus of the Mormon religion is Satan's brother and our elder brother, but he isn't real. The person doesn't even exist. The Jesus Christ of the Bible is our creator. He cannot be our brother. Mormonism has rejected the biblical Jesus and presents another one, a different one. Just like he predicted in John 5, 43, the true Jesus is rejected. Someone else came along, Joseph Smith, and he is accepted. Joseph Smith taught opposite of biblical truths, opposite of biblical morality, and biblical marriage, and he is accepted, but the testimony of Jesus is rejected. We urge our Mormon viewers to do what the Bible says in Acts 17, 11, test everything you're taught by reading the Bible to see if what you're being taught is true. Thank you for watching. This has been the audio podcast of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. Polygamy, What Love Is This? is produced by A Shield and Refuge Ministry. More information on this program, including the video version of it, can be found at whatloveisthis.tv. If you have any questions or need help getting free from Mormon fundamentalism, write us at contact at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 1-800-877-425-9993.